0: Okay, well, good morning. For those of you joining us just now, the name of this Lenten series is Review and Renew Psychology and the Sacraments. And the goal of the series is to deepen our personal journey and to promote a collective walk in faith. My name is Maureen McGuire. I'm your facilitator. I'm also a lifelong Catholic and a counselor. Last week um, was the first I, I developed this program specifically for Lent. So last week was it's a maiden delivery. And in all the excitement of discovering it was going to be filmed, uh, I neglected to mention something. And I I know some some people mentioned they weren't sure what to expect. And this is not group counseling, just so you know. Um, It's a psycho-spiritual education and development program. And and certainly this should never take the place of counseling ever. Um, But I do hope we can still enjoy the confidentiality that comes with counseling. Somebody were to share something privately, that we make sure we keep it in this room. So, not sure that needed to be mentioned, but I had forgotten to do it last week. I am in a facilitator role in this room, uh, but I'm still a mandated reporter. So, uh, there are some limits to the confidentiality for me, and most people are aware of that. But, you know, if you were to tell me you're abusing somebody, or you say you've been abused, or you intend to kill someone, Um, or you plan to harm yourself, I do have to involve another agency. So I just want to get that out of the way so people know they can share what they want to share. So why don't we go ahead and start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, as we process the information presented here today, help us to learn how better to know and love ourselves so we can feel your real presence in the Eucharist every time we approach the altar so we can more deeply know and love you. Amen. In the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. So last week we reviewed the sacrament of baptism and our initiation into the Catholic faith community and the beginning of the relationship building process with our Lord Jesus Christ. We also discussed how any interference in any healthy development of tangible relationships can interfere with the deeper intangible relationship with our Lord. And lastly, we learned the personal development concept of core beliefs that um, emerge from our growth experiences and that they can sometimes limit or inhibit or even impede any healthy relationship building. So my lovely assistant, Marilyn, who's gone missing, oh, there she is, she's gonna go ahead and pass around a handout for you. Well, I mentioned that this week, we're focused on the sacrament of the Eucharist, and a personal development concept called cognitive distortions. Okay, that's just a fancy schmancy word for thinking error. Since I'm realizing I'm kinda (laughs) bound to this podium a little bit, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and read the definition, thanks anyway, Scott, uh, of the Eucharist according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And, And Marilyn's passing that around for you guys to look at also. So the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. The other sacraments, and indeed all ecclesiastical ministries and works of the apostolate, are bound up with the Eucharist and are oriented toward it. For in the blessed Eucharist is contained the whole spiritual good of the church, namely Christ himself, or Pash. The Eucharist is the sum and summary of our faith, our way of thinking, is attuned to the Eucharist, and the Eucharist in turn confirms our way of thinking. Okay, so just so you know, if you read the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which I would encourage you to do, it is a little bit like reading the penal code, um, but it has several components to it. I just pulled out this one as, as a definition we can use for reference. So how might the sacrament of the Eucharist and the concept of thinking errors relate? Anybody have any ideas? Well, we need to start by continuing to acknowledge that we're in a love relationship with Christ that needs to be developed like any other relationship. And it's done through the way we think about love for ourselves and others. Cognitive distortions, and this is my definition, um, are irrational thoughts and beliefs that we unknowingly reinforce over time that can become obstacles to personal growth and can separate us from Christ. So we gotta start by addressing the potential for negative thinking. Like I said before, we're gonna start this whole series by becoming a little more deliberate in our walk in faith. And that includes paying attention to what we're thinking about. So in order to do that, we need to first become aware of what we're thinking and then become a little more deliberate in the monitoring and regulating of our thinking throughout the day so we can avoid getting distracted from our Catholic focus on the Eucharist. Okay, so on your sheet, um, take a look. I'm gonna read Romans 12:2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So I think what that means is that we need to fill our minds with thoughts that are centered on the Eucharist in order to stay rooted in our faith. Do you guys remember last week when I talked about the concept of neuroplasticity? That when we input this information, and over time, what you go out and encounter to reinforce that is something that you may or may not be aware of, and then other things you know, become diminished and they kinda go out into the background. But your brain is recording all the time. So if we aren't paying attention to what we're thinking about and what we're bringing into our awareness, we run the risk of allowing outside influences to manipulate us into adjusting our thoughts and beliefs to the culture around us. Is that ringing true for anybody paying attention to that kind of concept, right? Okay, we need to remain solid in our faith and model ourselves according to Christ's teaching, which always focuses on love first. If you approach a situation from the place of love first, Now, I know people are in some jobs that are a little challenging and it's hard to think about it. I remember working with some young interns from Cal Poly when we uh, started the very first treatment court for people who had drug addiction in um, California. And I remember telling them, it's really hard to see Jesus when someone's telling you what you can do with it. I mean, it is very hard, but you have to try to start from that place and and it works, it it makes it a lot easier. So in order to do that, we have to first become aware of the thoughts that drive us, right? So Marilyn is gonna go ahead and pass around another um, worksheet for you. And this is the way I'm hopeful that you can begin to frame your daily life. Okay, that's what we're going for, right? We're trying to build this into where we become very aware and deliberate in our daily living. So this is called an ABC model. And as Marilyn's passing around, I'm going to read it to you, and of course you can take a look at it a little closer. So when we go out throughout the day, we encounter different people, places, and things, right? And there can happen what is called an activative event, just something that happens to you or in the environment around you. Okay, so that's the starting point. That stimulates some beliefs. You have a belief or an interpretation regarding that event that, as we talked about last week, you may or may not be aware of, okay? Then there are consequences to that belief that include feelings and behaviors. Then when it causes distress, that's when we're gonna wanna challenge those beliefs to create new consequences And then of course you'll then adopt and implement a new adaptive kind of belief that's gonna serve you a little bit better. So that begins with the awareness. When you're paying attention, you look at that model and recognize that process because see, now that I brought it up to you, you can't not be aware of it. Okay, I told you about it so now, see, that's what happens when you're thinking. Now you're gonna be thinking about it because I told you this is the way when you encounter any person, place or thing, start to notice. If you feel distress, if you feel happiness, whatever, you just want to start becoming aware of it. So sometimes the thoughts that are impacting us are subtle and sometimes not so subtle. And sometimes they start out subtle and then they become not so subtle and you don't even know what hits you. So I was trying to think of an example and it kind of occurred to me. Do you guys remember in the 70s when they outlawed subliminal advertising? Remember when that happened and it was in movie theaters and and television? And the ones that jumped out at me um, the most were the ones around the movie theaters and, you know, splicing in the popcorn thing so you'd run out and go... And, then, uh, and the other one was on television was the commercials for nicotine, right? For cigarettes and things. That's when they had the Surgeon General announces that this is terrible, right? Okay, this, of course, happens after they addicted everyone. But anyway, um, <clears throat> so... That was regulated, right? Back in the early 70s, I think. I should have probably looked it up for you out here. But, um, but there's still very limited regulation on media and social media. Of course, we're not gonna have any regulation really on some of the media things, but social media especially, there's not a lot of regulation to it. And if you're really interested in how that works on your subconscious and your conscious, go ahead and watch a, a documentary called The Social Dilemma it could be a little bit alarming, but here's the good news. (laughs) When you're thinking about that whole process, and I was thinking about it definitely in the 70s, I was like, okay, what's more detrimental? Maureen runs out of the movie theater in the middle of some 70s movie, um, the Poseidon Adventure, right? Okay, to go get popcorn, or exposing ourselves to anti-Catholic rhetoric. Let's see, hmm, which one's worse, right? Okay, Um, but the point is you can't wait around for someone to regulate things for you. You need to regulate yourself. You need to take responsibility and pay attention to what you are ingesting. Notice, pay attention, go, I don't even wanna hear that, that's awful. And not that you're putting your head in the sand, But until you really have a strong internal sense of your faith, you're at risk. It's just, it's the way it is. So, um, Marilyn's going to also pass around the next handout, and that is a list of the cognitive distortions. Now, some of y'all may have already seen it, I don't know. But this is what happens, as I mentioned, they're irrational thoughts and beliefs Um, that can influence not just your emotions, but your decision-making, okay? It's gonna influence you, so you have to become aware of it. So I'm just gonna go ahead, while you're looking at these handouts, and and just try to, as I'm reading them, try to think about any time that might have influenced you. Something could have possibly, one of these uh, cognitive distortions influenced you. So I'm gonna start with magnification and minimization. That's exaggerating or minimizing the importance of events, catastrophizing, seeing only the worst possible outcome of every situation, overgeneralization, making broad interpretations from a single or few events, magical thinking, the belief that acts will influence unrelated situations, personalization, the belief that one is responsible for events outside of their control. Jumping to conclusions, interpreting the meaning of a situation with little or no evidence. Pretty sure that one's uh, taken hold in a global way. Um, Mind reading, interpreting the thoughts and beliefs of others without adequate evidence. Fortune telling, the expectation that a situation will turn out badly without adequate evidence. Emotional reasoning, the assumption that emotions reflect the way we really are, like emotions are permanent. Disqualifying the positive, recognizing only the negative aspects of a situation while ignoring the positive. You kind of mentioned that last week with your evaluations, right? Um, should statements, the belief that things should be a certain way, and getting stuck in that, and all or nothing thinking. A gl- <laughs> that's another one that's reached epidemic proportions. OK, so as you kind of reflect on that, does anybody want to be bold enough to confess any times they may have uh, let some of that influence them? <laughs> so one person is at all of the above. OK. It's possible. And we do. we do all experience it at different times. I mean, it is. The, the, the thing of it is you want to not not just be aware of it, but then make a different decision when something happens and of course if it becomes very extreme those are the folks that that do need to come to counseling because it's become so extreme that they can't disengage from that thought process and they kind of idle in that that sense of anxiety or depression or whatever whatever emotion that has gone along with it so why do you think that happens to us anybody got any ideas about why that might happen why do we do that Diana, that's right, habit, that is correct, sure. And what might be the underlying belief that goes with that, with jumping to a conclusion? Social pressures, that's great. Sure, an internal, Yep, so an internal message from, from a family, that's correct, yep. A lot of us are to that's true. Victim consciousness is what it's called. It's where you've adopted a behavior where you're, you're perpetually working as a victim. You feel like you have no control. You have no control over anything. And I'll just give an example, too, if, if you want to ask my children, who may or may not be listening to this, um, jumping to conclusions is the one they say, Mom, you're jumping to conclusions. Because I've uh, stupidly made them aware of this kind of situation, Uh, but for me as a parent, I will confess that as a parent, your job is to keep your children safe. That's your job, and a lot of times you're doing multiple cognitive distortions of thinking of the worst possible outcome that could happen. So you leap to a conclusion because you want to intervene quickly and stop that stupid decision making, which ultimately has to happen because that's the only way people learn. But Anyway, but the other part of it, too, is that we're trying to make sense sometimes of nonsensical situations. Something happens, like I mentioned last week, you encounter something that's so contrary to what you would believe. It just, you're like a deer in the headlights. You can't believe that is true. But yet, if you're still having to interact in that situation, you have to somehow reconcile it, right? So we go to this way of anchoring onto something, right? Likewise, we anchor onto these kind of thoughts when we encounter painful experiences to try to avoid the pain of it. We're trying to make sense of something that doesn't make sense. And, and likewise, if we do something, and then we're ashamed of it, and we're trying to justify it in our heads and try and figure out a way to, to live with it. And time you do that, it's going to separate you from Christ, because that's something that's contraindicated in our faith. We're not supposed to be, you know, constantly fretting and, and, and distressed, and, and, and yeah, you can make sense of that and make it work for you. I mean, that's pretty much what I do as a counselor, is help people make sense of some of the things that are happening. But... Anything that that keeps you away from Christ is not going to be positive for you in your life. And you can't protect yourself from all pain. Remember, I I have to share that. That's just a little tip for you, a a little insight into the future. You can't avoid it. Okay, I mentioned it last week, but as much as we try to sidestep it and move around it and distract and do it, You you can't, it's inevitable, it's gonna happen. That's a gimme, so you heard it here first, okay. Um, But the one thing you can do, and and I know I mentioned it last week, but I'm gonna emphatically say it this week. The one thing you can do when you find yourself in pain, whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain, whatever it might be, the one thing you can do is decide how and how long you're gonna suffer. That's it. That's what you can do. And I'm a big focus on what you can do. Okay, so we have to correct those thinking errors in order to make straight the path. And you have to first identify them and then utilize some of these tools that we're going to share when Marilyn passes out the next paper. um, It has green print on it. Oops, where'd it go? And... So we talked a little about it. Um, so as Marilyn's passing that out, I'm gonna give you an example. So it's kind of like the bulletin. I probably shouldn't have had her pass it out because <laughs> then y'all be reading that and not listening. Um, but there was an example of um, I had with a client. So I worked in a clinic before where we ran clinical programming that would go on for like six weeks for substance use or you know, various symptomology. And in the middle of it, they had three group sessions and then an individual session. Well, in the group sessions, especially if it was substance use, everybody was getting tested to see if they had relapsed and that kind of accountability existed. Well, as the counselor, I was one of those kind of counselors (laughs) that wanted to make sure you were being held accountable somehow. So I would oftentimes ask a family member to come in and describe to me how the behavior was going. What's going on? Have you you seeing any changes or is the person just, you know, pretty much lying to me for six weeks? What's going on? And so I had this client come in, and this is a perfect example. He came in and he had had a serious problem with drinking and he was detoxed from the drinking, which of course was unfortunate for him because then of course the pain came flooding in, right? He couldn't avoid it. He was using the alcohol to, to assuage the pain. And so he, he was talking to me about, he was a big fat failure. I'm just a big fat failure. So I started challenging it and I said, okay, well, I'm pretty sure you're a very successful businessman. He goes, oh, well, yeah, there's that. Yeah, <laughs> looking at your, your cognitive distortions, right? well, yeah, there's that. And I said, well, what, what do you think compels you to think you're a failure? So we started kind of unpacking it and looking back at some of his core beliefs. And, It turns out that when he was growing up, his dad really wanted him to have an education. His dad had defined education as the way you became successful. And he he was really important to the dad. So the dad was helping, I put my fingers in air quotes, helping with the homework. Well, whenever this guy got into a stressful situation and didn't understand something, his dad would kick over the trash can, and he found that to be so traumatic that this would happen. He would just freeze, and he said he, he then he couldn't understand anything. So ultimately, he failed in college. He tried to go to college, but he failed at it. But then he turned around and and started this very successful business. Well, I invited his his sibling in, and the brother, ironically, they they. I, I don't think they had spoken to one another before this because it was pretty quick from the time I had to come in. But I asked him, is there anything in your guys' background that might be helpful to me that could be useful when I'm, I'm helping counsel this person? And, and he said, well, you know, he, he always had a thing about the fact he didn't go to college. But, you know, I went to college and he's way more successful than I am. And so I don't know what it was all about. Probably, you know, when our dad was you know, helping us with the homework, and he would get really frustrated. And so the sibling said, and, you know, I just thought it was so much fun to get my dad so frustrated he'd kick over the trash can. And it was just so informative to me because it shows you exactly how two people can have the exact same situation and interpret it very differently and then choose to move forward based on that underpinning. So take a look at this particular exercise. I want you to take a few minutes to look at how many of these cognitive distortions that you can rec- recognize inside of your own thinking. Try to be specific about the thought and then on the other side on the category, put down the, which, which one of those, those thinking errors you think it might be. So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to look at that. Oh my goodness. OK, I have some more. Um, Marilyn, where'd she go? I have some more up here. How many more do we need? Uh, okay, here's five. Does everybody have one now? Oh, I, I have some more. Yeah, I do. Okay. I do. Did anybody else need one of the ABC models? Okay. 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 Did she need one? So how is that working out to try to start framing things within the context of those thinking errors? Anybody noticing anything in themselves? They might do. And in, you'll see in this exercise, it's not enough to just notice it. You're gonna have to make a correction. And if you have difficulty doing that, then go ahead and, and get some help with it. That's something you can do because it's, it's what the other gentleman said, we, we keep defaulting to that negative thing. I, I use the, the metaphor of the, the um, or the analogy, of the um, grocery cart that keeps veering to the one side. You know, you're, you're kind of wrestling with it when you go to the store because it's going over to this one side. It can be like that when you're trying to make an adjustment. It's very difficult at first, but it's worth the effort because what we want to be doing is defaulting to living the gospel. We don't want to be all tangled up in all this negativity. It's not helpful and it's certainly not gonna promote the collective walk in faith that we want. That's the goal, that's the mission. And we talked about the mission being to to know him and love him, but it's also to live the gospel. The way we conduct ourselves in our lives has to be reflective of that. So we need to really become mindful of any decision that leaves us turning away from Christ and noticing that it can be linked to some sort of erroneous thought that might be attached to some limiting core beliefs. Now, some of the core beliefs are good. I mean, they're, they're there, they can be helpful. I mean, uh, Kathy shared a really great example of her first memory and that's wonderful. That's a way you wanna frame things. But when we look at paying attention to our thoughts, it's important because not unlike from the beginning of Christianity, uh, there are influences deliberately trying to turn us away from Christ. And Christianity can actually be used against us, right? If we let it. So the people that are outside of the faith that are trying to get us to, as Father John says, accommodate things in culture apart from the dignity of the church, they're banking on us doing that because Catholics are supposed to be nice, right? You don't wanna, you don't wanna say anything because that would be rude, you know, or you don't wanna disagree because that would be, you know, kinda rude. And we wanna live and adhere by the golden rule, right? We're supposed to love one another. But loving one another doesn't mean we adjust our thinking and our beliefs. Catholics do accept everyone, but what we don't accept is anti-Catholic thinking, primarily, in my opinion, from people thinking, or, or us thinking that people can be trusted more than God. That in the end, you can trust, for example, a doctor more than God. Okay, doctors are helpful, but if you're putting everything into that, that's difficult. I work with people who have chronic illness. I have to try to help them get into a place where they can take the information that a doctor gave them, process it, make use of it, but ultimately, I want them defaulting to God. That's where we want to go first. Now, um, you know, God made doctors too, but you know you want to make sure that you're not putting just trying to say that people I said I keep feeling like I'm redundant but people can be trusted more than God. And that's kind of what's become a a thing now where we're doing that. And we want to not do that. We want to make sure that we're paying close attention to our thoughts so we're not doing that. And we also want to notice that every negative and sometimes perverse behavior must be normalized in order to be accepting and polite. I I mentioned that I worked in... um, uh, law enforcement in some respects. I was uh, in graduate school. I worked my way through graduate school writing criminal investigation reports. And I remember uh, there was a uh, section of the report that I did. So I, for those of you who are familiar with the legal system, there's the district attorney and then the defense attorney. And the district attorney is charging the person with the crime and the defense attorney is defending the person who's allegedly committed the crime my job was to be the independent arbitrator and look at both sides and then come back in with a recommendation. So um, juveniles in particular, they had a section where you could say it was the minor's statement. They they got a chance to say what happened because they weren't going to get that in court. So many, many, many times I would have young people when I say, okay, tell me what happened. And they'd start telling me and midway through, they'd go, you know, this sounded like such a better idea when I was doing it. You know, and they realized they were, they say it back and they're like, oh, what was I thinking? Why was I doing that? What, what, what was I thinking? Well, they weren't. That was the whole point. They weren't. They were impulsive. And they were doing things and subjecting themselves to the people around them. You know, when people would try to somehow bamboozle them, and recruit them in. Because when people engage in negative behaviors, they know they're wrong. They know it. But what do you wanna do? You wanna go recruit somebody else in, right? Like you think it's gonna make it less bad if we spread out the, the, the evil, you know, or something they think that's gonna happen. And, and a lot of times working with young kids, uh, there was one real serious crime that I had to investigate in, in Santa Barbara once. And I remember when they separated the kids right away, there were five of them and they all went, to this one kid, you know, so you knew who was the, the ringleader and trying to get them to do what they, they knew in their heart of hearts they weren't supposed to. But it's also important then to, to not be dissuaded from and engage in behaviors you know are wrong and think that you need to do that out of politeness. No, that, that, that's not what it's about. And certainly, I, I'm pretty sure there are several sections where Jesus was scolding people. He wasn't always all sweet. You know, he did tell you there were times where that you know better, and that's true. And it's important then, though, that we, make, we recognize that because we are models. As Catholics, we're models. We're, we're showing people the way. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Remember, the Old Testament is the rails, the New Testament is the way. So. I was also thinking about how we, we need to just not then live the gospel, but then speak it when it's necessary as well. And so I was trying to think of a, an example around the Eucharist that would be something relevant. And I was remembering my oldest daughter when she was making her first communion and have you guys seen the kids when they're getting ready for their first communions, they're so excited and they're approaching the altar and they're so excited and, and they just can't wait, you know, and it's a whole year before they can get, get there and make their first communion. And so she was about, I, I think it was around April and we were gonna have her first communion in May. And so I'd gone to school and it was a, a, a little, little school out in the country and, and I helped in the classroom and then I stayed for lunch. And while we were waiting and um, some of the kids had lunch line where they got that's and then the other kids brought their lunch. Well we were sitting there and she, had, she brought her lunch and this little girl was standing in line. She got up to the front of the lunch line and the lunch lady told her that her parents hadn't paid for her lunch so she couldn't have any lunch. And some mean girls, all you women in here know, know those mean girls who start very young, um, were kind of chastising her and, and embarrassing her and, and, and humiliating her, it was horrible. So my daughter invited her over to sit at her table and shared her lunch. And I was very, very proud of her at that time. And so after the, the, the little girl left, um, I said, you know, I'm so proud of you that you did that and I'm, I'm hoping that you would have done that even if mom, you know, wasn't sitting here. Um, but you know, it can also be helpful now that you're You know joining the club essentially and you're deepening your relationship with with jesus that that you then also stand up for her it was great that you invited her over that's living the gospel right but then we want you to stand up for her too and she looked at me and she goes it's always something you know (laughs) you know like oh can i just enjoy the moment you know oh it's always something so (laughs) Anyway, I just think it's important for us to think like that. We just want to shift the way we're thinking. And it seems a little risky sometimes. And I, I want us to know that um, in spite of what's going around on social media, which I'm happily oblivious to in some, some cases, but I, I do not believe we're in a post-Christian era. I think that's a bad rumor. So it's important that we keep staying focus though. Do not get, remember Romans 12 too, do not get carried away by the culture. It's not going to be good for us as Catholics. We need to stand up. So how many of you have had somebody come in and say, well I used to be Catholic but you know I can't be part of a church where they got sex offending priests and and, uh, and the church's bad handling of this whole situation. Raise, raise your hands if you've ever had something. That's a big hand raising. Okay, so I personally have had that happen and I, I think about it when they talk about those kinds of things and, and, and it, is, it is frustrating. I mean, it is, you know I, 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 you know, I have to agree. I'll say, you're absolutely correct. That is an egregious sin. It is horrific and the way the church handled it is, is, has been ineffective and, and insufficient, in my opinion. And I, I, was, I was like, I've probably investigated 100 crimes and pretty emphatically recommended some successful ways to correct criminal behavior, um, especially with juveniles. Um, but oddly, the Pope hasn't called me and asked for my opinion. I don't know what that's all about. It's kind of crazy, but, um, you know, I could do something about that. And I could certainly keep sharing my opinion further, but that's not what this is about right now. This is about us really focusing on some evidence-based material to help us stay on the path to salvation ourselves. So when somebody says that to you, and remember, we're coming from a place of being rooted in faith and love and everything. When someone says that to you, and the same thing they say to me, I say to them, you know, I agree with all that stuff, but what has that got to do with the Eucharist? That's the focus of our faith. What does some priest in Arkansas or something, um, mishandling of something in Boston, or whatever, have to do with your experience with the Eucharist? In no way does one negate or reinforce the other, that's the thinking error. That's where it comes from, right? You're, you're, you're make, mixing apples and oranges here. But people do it because, back to the, why these thinking errors exist, because we're trying to make sense of something that makes no sense. It doesn't compute. You can't even imagine that, that something that horrific would happen, we can't. So people have to do that for themselves, but later, When I became a counselor, uh, I worked with many, many victims of crime, many victims of crime. And I would have to work on changing their thinking because I didn't want them to be perpetually victims, right? Um, Something terrible had in fact happened to them, but as they were going through the court process, I'd have to begin our counseling process by saying, look, your catalyst for healing can't be the outcome of that case because anybody's been involved in court stuff, who knows how it's gonna turn out. Some, you could have somebody on videotape, and something happens, and, and it gets thrown out of court. So your healing can't be contingent on the outcome of that case. And the second part of it is I have to ask, are you gonna let that person's crime, their sin, impact you further? by separating you from Christ. You don't get to go to church because a priest did something to you. You just, you just robbed yourself again. But that's, that part is on you. What that person did, that's on them. And I have my own, you know, what I would do. Anyway, um, but, but if you separate yourself from Christ, how are you gonna reconnect with the love that we're looking for. How are you gonna do that? And that's what I want them to see. They robbed you of your innocence, but don't let them rob you of your relationship with Christ. That's what you can do something about. We can't change the facts. I can't change the facts. But what I can do is help you change the way you think about it. And that can help change the way you feel about it and restore that communion with Christ, okay? So I, I've had to tell people sometimes too, okay, if you had a bad teacher, do you say, okay, no school. I'm not going to school anymore, no school. Who does that? You know. But for weird reasons, it somehow made sense to people who just suddenly left the church. They're like, what are you doing? And the weird thing is they come back sometimes for the same reasons they left. I mean, Kathy and Scott have seen this a lot, probably. You know, you love, well, that's too much structure. It's just, it's, you're making me jump all these hoops. It's just a big old... You know, okay, but then when you get older, you like, want it. <laughs> Cling to it. You want that structure. And, and we do want that. We want the authority of the church. We want somebody to tell us how we're supposed to live. This is a big, hot mess we're in right now. You know, you want somebody to give you some helpful information. So hopefully this is somewhat helpful. Um, but I was looking at... Um, Back in the early church days, too, when we're speaking about um, living the gospel and then also speaking it in order to advance the faith, back in the early, early days of the church, when, when Christianity was illegal, when you think back on it, and people could, um, you know, really were having mass in the basement and, and were doing those kinds of things where they uh, didn't dare even kind of poke their heads out at all. And they certainly wouldn't be speaking out about it or whatever weapon of the day they had, they just killed them, right? You know, that was the solution. But now Christians are being attacked about their beliefs but offered alternate ideology. So imagine you're in this little squabble, right? You know, and, and then suddenly you're uh, you're kind of confused. and somebody comes in with an alternate ideology, and if you aren't regulating your thoughts, these folks get so confused, they just kill themselves, right? They don't even have to kill them anymore. They just demoralize them, and, and, and I tell people, that, that, that shame doesn't belong to you. Don't let that in. Don't let that distract you and separate you from our Lord. And in all that chaos, people will say, well, what, how can a loving God do this? And back to my investigation days, okay, we're asking the wrong question. The question needs to be, what are we gonna do in response to it? Yeah, this is horrible, but do you think God doesn't know what's going on? Of course, but asking us, what are we gonna do? Okay, well, I'm kind of shy, I'm kind of you know, introverted. Okay, so am I. I know it seems like a shock, but I am. Um, and we have to remember that we can't control anybody But us, that's it. Now, that's not to say that other people don't push us. Okay, we're going to get to that in a couple of sessions about boundary setting. But, but we can only control ourselves and our reaction. That's all you can control. So you got to stop and think and decide how you're going to respond to something. So I tell people you don't want to react; you want to respond. You want to have a thoughtful response to that. So that process that we saw in that ABC, email, it, most people see the A and the D. They miss all the, the middle part. But I want you to notice that we can only influence other people. We can't control them. So we need to right now cling tightly to one another so we can stay on task and do what we can to advance the faith. Because it's not enough, I think I mentioned that last week, it's not enough to just, kind of, well, I go to Mass, and I just kind of, you know, I kind of give, and know that's it. Okay, we, we, we kind of got to do more than that. So get out of the anxiety and depression, so you're free to do that, and that's what they mean when they say Jesus will set you free. So as a counselor, one of the hardest things I have to do is to sit in absolute objectivity. It's a lot harder than it may seem. But when someone comes in, I have to sit there with no judgment. And I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but did you know that the first time you interact with someone, it takes less than eight seconds to start judging. You're gonna immediately start judging. And we're gonna get to a communication um, session too, but the other thing about that too is is when you're communicating, people take about 10 seconds before they start trying to think of that witty response. So that means they're not listening to the rest. So as a counselor in that place, I really try to operate from a place of objective truth. It's, it's a demand that I, I, I feel like, that I'm trying to stay Christ present in thought, word, and deed. And I accept everyone, when people come in, I accept them where they are. That Christ does that for us, accepts us where we are. It's gotta be frustrating too. <laughs> Going, oh, I need you over here and you're still stuck over here. You know, it's just frustrating, but that's, that's where you get. And I have no attachment to the outcome of anybody's counseling goals. They come and tell me, that's the kind of counseling I do. They come and tell me what their goals are and I help them navigate around the obstacles to get where they need to go, okay? So um, for example, if you have a couple fighting and they come in and, and I might suspect that there's substance use someplace, okay? They're not bringing it up, I'm assessing for it, but they're not bringing it up. So we're gonna start with the thing at hand and then we work on something else. So I would encourage you to also do that for yourself, You know, to just be kind of mindful of where you are, but then accepting where you are. You know, as as I have to to say, I'm not a miracle worker. You know, it's not gonna happen in a second. So I have no attachment to that and irrespective of the specifics, I don't only work with Catholic clients. Um, Most of my clients though are Christian, but my Catholic mission parallels my counseling mission irrespective of the specifics because my job is to help people know and love themselves. That's the primary thing. If you want me to reduce the whole profession down to that, it's to know and love themselves and to get out of their own way to discover what was true from birth, that they are worthy and they are good enough if they stay in line with Christ, if they keep developing that relationship. That's, that's pretty much what we do. I, I do not try to convert people. It's not my job as a Catholic or a counselor to save everyone, and it isn't. It's, it's, it's you can only get them there, but I, I do feel like it is my job to model the gospel. And if people wanna choose the Catholic expression of Christianity, I look at it like, well, I got them to the on-deck circle. You know, I got them there in the ready position at least. So then that way, that's what I do. But I, I also want people to recognize too that the deeper you're rooted in your faith, the easier it is to tolerate people who are not there and who are in coming around you from different perspectives. If you're really rooted and know for sure what you believe and you're every day working to cultivate that and deepen that, that conversion experience, it's so much easier to be around people that don't agree with you. You don't feel compelled to save them. You can speak to advance the faith but you don't feel compelled to do that because you know where things are at. And there is a place for everyone. I, I, I personally just want people to find their own faith and know that regardless of their personal beliefs, that God made them and loves them. That's what I want them to know. I want them to, to feel that and learn to coexist and recognize that, that we've planted seeds with people, even if you don't see it sometimes. I've had people actually that I worked with as juveniles, and you see them like 10 years later, and some kids that I honestly, got to be honest, I definitely turned that over because I didn't like their odds. I, it, surrounded by such terrible behavior and environments that, that were really not fit for humans in a lot of ways, and that your little interaction could possibly give them that little seed of hope. And When I worked in a juvenile facility, there were some kids that uh, would come in and, you know, you'd be 99.9% sure something terrible was happening at home, but they didn't want to tell you. You know, just like I mentioned my limits of confidentiality, probably why they didn't want to tell you. but, um, But in that experience, I remember I was getting an evaluation one time, and this little girl came up to me and she said, Miss McGuire, you're the same every single day. And my supervisor said, that is the best compliment you could ever get. That kid, no matter what kind of chaos is going on in their life, they know that every day, Maureen's not going to acquiesce. The rules are the rules, and they're going to stay the same. And I can encourage you to do the same thing. We know the rules. We know what we're supposed to be doing right, you gotta start exploring, okay, what's compelling me to go this other direction? Like right now on our Lenten journey, we are adding something every week to hopefully um, bring into the, uh, our awareness a model for living that will continue way past Lent. So I'm adding something every week. But you wanna do that for other people as well because again, the more solid you are in your faith, they're gonna see it. Um, another example I had was I, I used to take my dog in into the assisted living facility, and there was one lady there who was um, uh, sh- the Jehovah's Witnesses had been uh, meeting up with her, and I never said anything. I never, you know, tried to preach anything to her. Whatever, I just tried to show her some kindness and listen to her, and and that kind of thing. And one day she told me that it was her Catholic friend who was helpful. And she told the the person who had come in to see her. And so I just thought, well, that's that's what we want, you know, that people see what you're doing in thought, in word, and in deed. So my last handout um, that we have, Marilyn, did you pass that one out? Where'd it go? Oops, maybe I didn't, oh. Okay, where's the last one? Uh, okay, the last one is something to give you a little more, um, a little deeper dive you can do in between sessions. Um, it's a little more involved description of what we're gonna be doing. But then, did everybody get the, the daily plan? Oops, did, did we get this one? Marilyn, did we get this one yet? The lat- Okay, this one we'll do, this last one. So what we added to the, the plan, because each week we're, we're adding something. We added a different scripture verse around the Eucharist, and I want you to, to include that during the day, where throughout the day you notice some of these thinking errors. And if you can't think of a way to challenge them, read the scripture verse. It's John chapter 6, 54 to 57. And I'll end with that. As soon as everybody gets a copy of that. Yeah, is it on the front? Okay. It should look like this. No John six, okay. Oh shoot, okay. She, she's gonna be passing that around. Okay, we're nearing the finishing line here. So I'm gonna go ahead and read this for you. So if you have difficulty noticing the, uh, and challenging the negative thoughts, recite John chapter 6, 54 to 57. And we're going to end with this. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him, just as the living Father sent me and I have life because of the Father, so also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me." Okay, so let's do that. And thank you for your attention. And I'm gonna go ahead and have, if you wanna make some more copies of that, that would be great. Okay, anybody have any questions? Everybody coming back next week? Okay, thank you very much. Hello, this is Father Len McMillan. I'd like to take a moment to thank you for listening to our podcast. If they've been a blessing to you, I'd also like to invite you to prayerfully discern supporting the podcast financially. Your generosity would help support the ongoing production and distribution of the podcast. If you'd like to make a donation, you can simply click the link in the podcast description. Be sure to tell us your donation is for the podcast in the comment section of the submission form. Again, thank you for your support as we seek to share the good news of the gospel. May God bless you for your generosity.